it's good to see all of you here this morning. It's, uh, it's great to have your smiling faces in this place. And for those of you who are worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, we welcome you as well. Uh, Seth, who just did our communion meditation a few minutes ago, is one of our recent high school graduates and is on to college here in a short time. You know, I just, I think our young people around here are terrific. If you see him after the service, give him a pat on the back and tell him a job well done. We're going to miss some of our, our youth as they move on, but God always keeps raising up others to do a great job. And that's part of this whole series on move. All the different personalities, all the different wirings that we face as everybody finds their pathway to connecting with and worshiping God. We've explored the enthusiast and the contemplative pathways. We have reviewed the traditionalist and the aesthetic approaches to worshiping God. And last week, we delved into the sensate and the naturalist approach to finding a path to our Savior. Let me remind you that the sensate is the one who connects with the Lord through all five senses. After all, Jesus challenged us to love the Lord our God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or in other words, with all that is in us, using all of our senses to come before him and connect with him. And the naturalist... The naturalist Christian will always feel close to the creator out in his creation. The first five English words of scripture are these. In the beginning, God created. And so out in his creation, we connect. Our faith is affirmed. We are drawn closer to him when we see all that God has made and we see, realize what incredible genius was involved in his grand design. May, may I give you just one more example to keep you amazed at our God? Thank you very much. <laughs> Last week we took a look at the puffer fish, you know, and the, the amazing design that it creates. Well, this one is at the opposite end of the puffer fish's beautiful artistry. This is the ugly, strange hagfish. I don't know if you're familiar with the hagfish or not. It has no eyes, teeth, or backbone. Its skin fits very loosely like a loose pair of pajamas. And when attacked, its defense is slime. Yeah. Between its head and tail, the hagfish has 70 to 200 slime glands, and when threatened, it exudes this sticky mucus. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The hagfish will typically release less than a teaspoon of gunk from its slime glands. And once in the water, in less than half a second, that little amount will expand by 10,000 times. Enough to fill a five-gallon bucket. In July of 2017, a truckload of hagfish destined for South Korea overturned on an Oregon highway, and here's a picture of the result. <laughs> Let me tell you, that Prius may get good gas mileage, but it's no match for hagfish. It just really isn't. And here's the mystery. Here is the mystery. The protein threads that give the slime cohesion are amazing. Each one is one hundredth the width of a human hair, but can stretch out to four to six inches. And within the slime glands, each thread is coiled up like a ball of yarn within its own tiny cell. And you say, well, what's that like? Let me give you this comparison. It's like stuffing a strand of Christmas lights 3,281 feet long, a kilometer long, into a shoebox without a single knot or tangle. 
No one, nobody in science can figure out how this happens. And this miracle of packaging is being studied to see how we can learn and create other things that will be as powerful. The slime of the hagfish is the subject of a lot of scientific study because there's so much to be learned. There is just nothing like it in the world. How great is our God. Well, today we expand our horizons by exploring two more sacred pathways of connecting with and worshiping the Heavenly Father. The path of the Christian activist and the path of the Christian caregiver. So I want to take just a few minutes and unpack these two for you this morning. Activists love God by standing up for righteousness and justice for others. Now, now there are some who might recoil at the thought of being an activist as the word is so often depicted in our culture today. We may view an activist as one whose emotional intensity is so strong that it overrides good judgment. Their actions, or maybe more importantly, their reactions may do as much harm as good. But that's a really narrow and negative view of activism. I would not really identify as an activist, but I am. An activist confronts what's wrong. An activist fights against apathy and indifference. I do that in my preaching and in my other ministry roles all the time. Now, it's true, folks, I'm much more comfortable in the role of a spiritual shepherd than I am a prophet with all the fiery speech of a prophet. Not, not one who tells the future, but in a proclaimer. But there are roles and importance for both. So there's times I need to be a shepherd, but there's times I need to be bold like a prophet. So I, I can tell you this morning that an activist can be a teacher, an artist, a preacher, a leader, a social reformer, and a writer, and so much more. When Abraham Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, he remarked, so this is the woman who started the Civil War. Because you see, activism can come in a lot of different arenas. One need not look far in Scripture to find such bold prophetic characters who confronted both regular people as well as royal leaders, who boldly stood before those who held the power of life and death and yet spoke the truth without hesitation. I see Moses standing before Pharaoh, demanding the freedom of the Hebrew slaves. I see Elijah confronting the wicked Ahab and Jezebel and standing alone on the top of Mount Carmel against 450 prophets or leaders of the idolatrous worship of Baal waiting for God to answer with fire from heaven, standing alone proclaiming the truth. Uh, back in February, we stood on Mount Carmel, and there is this statue there dedicated to the memory of the prophet Elijah. I stood in front of that, and I thought, wow, I am on the mountain where that great moment in biblical history happened. If that's not activism, I don't know what it is. I see John the Baptist confronting King Herod and boldly telling him he had no right to marry his brother's wife. I also stood in the ruins of the fortress where John the Baptist was held captive because those words, that sermon, cost him his life. But he never looked back, never backed down. He stuck with the truth. Some connect with God best when defending the truth 
or enlightening others to the plight of the disenfranchised and the injustice of our world and society or seeking to defend and protect the lives of the unborn. You see, the Christian activist is spiritually encouraged by striving to make a genuine difference in this world for Jesus Christ. Here's the other one. Caregivers love God through acts of mercy and service toward others. Now, for many of you, I have finally arrived at your sweet spot. You are more engaged and encouraged when you're helping, serving, and assisting others in the name of Jesus Christ than anything else that you do. You feel closer to God when you are serving than when you're singing hymns. Your spirit soars as you pray for others more than praying for yourself. You'd rather be a living sermon than listen to a sermon any day. You have an empathy the size of the state of Texas. You cry when others cry. You laugh when others are happy. And if you can improve their life by just a little, if you can make a difference that makes their lives better, that's all the reward you want. That's why so many of you relish the opportunity to go on short-term mission trips to help with the children's home in Guatemala or His Eyes Ministry in Honduras or encourage those working through Rafa House who are rescuing and redeeming those enslaved in the sex trade industry. Or building a house just south of the border to give a family in Mexico the chance to move forward on, the own, on their own. She died 22 years ago, but the image of Mother Teresa serving the poor and the sick still evokes thoughts and inspiration of caring for those who cannot care for themselves. The least of these as Jesus called them. Go back and read the story of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther was a queen, and yet Esther was willing to lay down her life so that her people, the Hebrew people, might not be annihilated by the Persians. I mean, that's, that's service. That's caregiving at its best. The Christian caregiver is also spiritually encouraged by striving to make a genuine difference in this world for Jesus Christ. Now, as with all of these paths, we've seen some pitfalls. There are some cautions because when taken to an extreme, you, you, you've got problems. Left unchecked, an activist attitude can become judgmental and self-righteous. Activists can feel like, well, no one else loves God as much as I love God, and therefore their righteousness exceeds that of everybody else. Such elitism leads to a spirit of resentment toward other believers. Well, because you don't care about this need as much as I care about this need, you must not be as strong in your faith as I am. Oh, that's, a, that's, that's a problem. The activist may also restlessly search for the perfect church whose actions are in total sync with their own. The problem is you will never find a perfect church, and you will never find a church that is in complete sync with your own ideas and views. Another caution is balance. When such time, energy, and resources are invested in fighting against the wrong and fighting for the right, it's easy to become physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually depleted. One can easily get so discouraged to throw in the towel. You give up on others. You even give up on God because you don't see God working as much as you want God to work in the situation where you're passionate. You see, that was Elijah's problem after this marvelous, inspirational conquest on the top of Mount Carmel, he got discouraged, ran away, said, God, I, I'm done. Just take me out of here. I want to die. That, that's the problem if you're not guarded and keeping a good balance. 
And the Christian activist must always make certain he is responding with God's compassion on a foundation of God's word. When we get to pontificating on our soapbox of personal opinions, uh, we're, we're in, in, in uh, shaky ground. You see, an opinion is just that. It's an opinion. So if you want to be an activist, be sure you're acting on God's truth. Caregivers need to be guarded as well. They can become so engaged in caring for others that they'll neglect their own needs to the detriment of their own health. Caregivers, too, often lose their sense of balance. Not physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. In their sincere desire to help, caregivers must guard against becoming enablers in the long run. Because enabling somebody to keep on with their problem is worse than helping them in their problem. And like the activist, a caregiver can easily become frustrated when they feel like others aren't doing enough or others don't see the obvious need in front of them. Caregivers are in danger of finding their identity in what they do, not their identity in who they are in Christ. And caregivers may experience what we call compassion fatigue. The exhausting weariness that drains and debilitates us to the point that we lose all desire to help. When you've helped to the uttermost part of your life and you just can't do it any longer, you throw in the towel. You want to balance yourself so you don't get to that point. So you say, well, is there a biblical story where these these characteristics, these pathways converge into one moment? And, And there really is. And it's a beautiful story. It's a powerful story. We only find it in Luke uh, uh, and, and it's in chapter 10. This is the only, this is the parable that Jesus told that we all love so much, but only Luke records it. I think there's a, a, a reason that Luke's the one that, that records this parable. And Jesus is in a confrontational moment with an expert of religious law who's actually come to him to see if he can trap him in some kind of a discrepancy. And, and Jesus has no way out of that moment. And they can say, see, Jesus is not the answer. And so in this conversation, the expert in the law looks at Jesus and he says, and just who is my neighbor? Luke 10 verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, Luke 10.30 opens with a word that is basically ignored in the NIV. It means that Jesus took up the challenge laid down by the scholar, that he jumped at the chance to drive home this point. You see, Jesus knew where this was going. When that question came out, Jesus was just, boy, he was just ready with an answer because Jesus knew that by the time he got done with this parable, the religious scholar was going to wish he was anywhere but standing in front of Jesus. I want to remind you, too, that when Scripture talks about going down or going up, it is talking about elevation, not north and south like we do here in Indiana. All right? So when it says a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was literally going down. Jerusalem was high up. 3,500-foot drop between Jerusalem and the city of Joshua's fame in the conquest. And from Joshua's day... This trek between Jerusalem and Jericho had been known as Bloody Pass because it was the perfect place to be waylaid by bandits and roadside terrorists. 
As the story unfolds, the inevitable happened to the traveler. The roadside terrorists have taken their plunder and left him bloody, beaten, and near death on the road. Now, I could read you the rest of the parable, but I'd just as soon tell you. The man needs help. Desperately needs help. And he knows he cannot survive long in this condition without some assistance. He is not able to help himself at this point in time. And every little sound startles him as it echoes off the craggy heights. The lengthening shadows narrow along the way. The stony path taunts him as he peers out through swollen eyes to catch a glimpse of somebody, anybody, who would help him. A temple priest, a preacher is coming down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, sees the guy, passes by on the other side of the road. And then the temple assistant, a Levi, probably a music minister. <laughs> Comes along, takes a look, passes by on the other side. You gotta know that the guy who's been hurt is just desperate Two of the people that should have helped him most. People who understood what ministry was all about passed by on the other side. And then, and then comes a Samaritan. Lord, don't let him stop. He can pass on by if he wants. I don't want that pariah helping me. I'm telling you, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans was palpable. Let me see if I can explain it to you. This, what happened in the parable that Jesus told, is more remarkable than a Jewish refugee stopping to help a wounded Nazi SS officer in World War II. It is more surprising than an escaping African-American slave stopping to help bandage the wounds of a Confederate Civil War soldier. Do you get the impression what's going on here? This beaten traveler has to be wondering, oh no, Lord, could it be that this disgrace of a man, if you can even call him a man, is actually going to try and help me? But then he felt the sting of the wine in his wounds and the warmth of the olive oil on his skin. The Samaritan tore off part of his robe and made crude bandages for the worst of his cuts. And then with an oil-soaked rag, he gently wipes the matted blood from the sufferer's face. The victim was lifted from the ground and placed on the Samaritan's donkey, and the three of them head off down the road. Why, the Samaritan even paid out of his own pocket for an innkeeper to keep the man and take care of him. And he said, when I come back, if you spent more than I just gave you, I will make it up to you. I think Jesus must have paused and just let it all soak in for a minute. <laughs> and then Jesus turns to the expert and asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? <laughs> the expert in the law replied, it was the Samaritan, sir. No. He couldn't even bring himself to utter the name Samaritan. He just simply said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. If the Christian activist and caregiver is looking for a command to activate your service, here it is. Go and do likewise. Now, real quickly, let me summarize 
what we learn out of this beautiful parable with this. First of all, compassion sees the need. Both the activist and the caregiver operate out of compassion. Compassion sees the need. When the Samaritan happened upon the brutalized traveler, he didn't inquire as to the man's geographic origin. He didn't ask about his Judean zip code. He did what he could to save the man's life. A person's need should be determined how we respond, not by that person's cultural background. Nor should we be moved with compassion based on another's good judgment or common sense. I mean, the Samaritan didn't scold the traveler for his carelessness while he bandaged his wounds. I might have. I know myself. While I'm tying up the bandage, I might have said, what were you thinking? <laughs> Traveling on this road by yourself, you know the reputation of this road. What a, what a crazy, stupid thing to do. Now, here's what I've learned in life. Most of us know when we've been stupid and made a bad choice. I don't need somebody to remind me of my stupidity. I just need sometimes somebody to help me out in my painful moments. Compassion is seldom conditional. It, it is not based on somebody making always the right smart choices. In less than a month, September the 7th, we have an opportunity to bring these two pathways together in a spirit of compassion as we join again with Habitat to build a home. This morning, Brad's going to introduce to us the family who will help build and occupy this house and make it a home. Brad? Thank you. Mm -hmm. This will be a fourth uh, Habitat bill that we've participated in as a congregation and each time we anxiously await to see which family will be the family that we get to build with. Uh, they started about two years ago uh, with applications in the process of helping other people with their builds, of classes, of going through uh, work projects. You have several hundred hours of serving already before it's their turn. And uh, they came, to, this is the Hohen family. I'd like to, you to uh, meet Justin and Heather and also uh, Mason, and Landon, and Jasmine, and Corbin. This is Corbin saying hi to us. And uh, they have two other twins who aren't with us this morning. So uh, they need a big house. And uh, we're uh, privileged to be able to build with and for them. So uh, we'd like for you to uh, sign up to participate in the bill. We have four different Saturdays when we need volunteers. And also, uh, part of our contribution is a $40,000 contribution toward the house. Uh, that's only half of the cost. I wish I could build a house for $80,000. But uh, we're asking you to help us by jumping in and uh, making contributions as well. But now I'd like for Justin to tell us, how have you seen God's hand in this whole process of ap applying and working toward um, a, a new home for your family? Well, it's for sure the abundance of God has uh, definitely shown. Um, since I was a small child, I, uh, one of my very first prayers was to someday be able to have a brand new house, you know. And as my family actually grew uh, larger, it's, uh, it's actually one of the prayers that's came to pass. Um, we're actually... We're actually, uh, God's hand is answering prayer. So he's definitely answering the prayer. And we're uh, thankful and excited to be able to have enough room for our family. 
um, you know, to grow. And we're all, uh, I was actually born and raised here. So the foundational roots, and we were definitely excited to find out that the uh, church was behind it because we know that that prayer from uh, God is going to run deep in the roots uh, for all of our family. So God bless you all. Thank you. Um, We've talked together uh, backstage about what it means to walk God's pathway and the, the abundance that he promises us. And there's so, much, so many ways that we live the abundant life. One is by being able to work alongside of this family to be able to see them meet their needs and also the blessing that they'll receive through this home as we join with them in doing it is just part of that great life that God has promised us. It's deep and it's rich and we all get to be part of it. So let's pray together for this family. Father, we thank you <clears throat> for the Hohen family, for their commitment and love for you. Uh, we thank you that you've walked with them this far in life and that you're about to present to them <clears throat> one of the great blessings uh, of having uh, a home, having bedrooms for each one of their kids, having a place that is um, secure and consistent for them to live and grow in. I pray that you'll fill their house with uh, your presence and with your blessing. And as we work with them, that our friendship will grow. And um, that as we um, watch your goodness happen, we will give you praise and honor through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for being here this morning. We're uh, looking forward to partnering with you in all this. You see, that's, that's a great need that regardless of how you're wired, you can get involved. Um, compassion is action, and it's a part of the Christian life. You know, when the world hears us talk, but they don't see us act, it's, it's, it's hard for them to have any respect for us. Uh, it, it takes away from their understanding of who Jesus really is. By the way, do you think most people would pay $100 a ticket to go see the Colts huddle in the middle of the field for 60 minutes? No, you go to a football game, you want to see some action. All right? So it's not just about us huddling together and talking about compassion. It's about seeing the need and taking action. Well, here's something else. Compassion goes above and beyond. It doesn't just see the need, it goes above and beyond. The actor Peter Ustinov once said, he said, charity is far more common than compassion. Charity is tax deductible. Compassion is time consuming. Or to put it another way, compassion goes above and beyond. The priest and the Levite obviously saw a need, but their fear or their excuses trumped what little compassion they may have had. Some suggest that the priest and the Levite were concerned that if they stopped to help a man brutalized like this, that they would not be allowed to do their service in the temple, which if they had touched somebody like this, it would, have, it would have disqualified them. But they weren't going up to Jerusalem. They were coming down from Jerusalem. Their temple service was done. They were going home to wherever home was. So that wasn't the problem. I think the problem was fear. They, they'd heard too many stories about this road. They knew its nickname was Bloody Pass. And they knew that sometimes if you stop to help a victim, you become the victim. That it's all a trap. You ever felt that way? I have. You ever been a little bit reluctant to stop and help in, in a questionable situation? I have. 
Because you wonder, is this legit? If I stop and help, will I become the victim? I, I understand where the priest and the Levite are coming from. We've done the same thing. And there is a, there is a sense in which you want to be smart and, and, and understanding. You don't want to just go out there and do something while thinking it through. But we don't want to overlook a need because we are too afraid. In place of fear, let compassion lead you. Let compassion take you above and beyond in a purposeful, meaningful way. Don't become a victim to your fears. And that's why we love the Samaritan's response. He too may have been fearful, but he stopped anyway. He, he not only met the immediate need, but he exceeded the expectations. He empathized with the man. He administered first aid. He provided transportation. He paid the bills for the man's recovery. I mean, folks, that's not just going the second mile. That's going the third and the fourth mile. When we go above and beyond what anybody expects or imagines, Jesus is glorified. And the world stops and takes notice and says, that's a Christian who doesn't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. Such actions speak louder than any sermon I could ever preach. Here's the last thing. Compassion fills a void. Uh, Frederick Buckner wrote this. He said, compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can be never really any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. That's, that's a good picture of compassion. Here's one of those ironies of life. When it becomes our primary goal to satisfy our own desires at the expense of others, we rarely experience a moment of contentment. On the other hand, when we invest our lives in others, we discover a deep sense of satisfaction. There are wounded lives on the rocky path all around us. So let's open our eyes. It's not difficult to find hurting people who need compassion. It's just sometimes difficult to step out of our comfort zone and make a difference. They may be all alone or hurting with some physical condition or filled with sorrow because they've just buried one of the most important people in their lives or they're stressed because they can't meet their financial obligations or they're empty in life and they, and they don't know where to find something to fill the void. You don't have something, but you do have someone who can fill that void if you give them Jesus Christ. You see, there is more than one bloody pass in this rugged journey we call life. So don't run away from the need. Get personal. Don't hold back. Start looking for specific ways to help somebody this week. And let's pray. Let's pray that while we travel through life as a Christian activist and a Christian caregiver, that God will give us Samaritan eyes and a Samaritan heart to make a genuine difference for Jesus Christ. Is he your savior this morning? Are you serving him by caring for others? If not, while we sing this song, you got a decision to make. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.